Whenever anyone has asked me about the subject for this sermon, my answer has been dihydrogen monoxide. If the person pushed further, which surprisingly most people didn't, I would go on to talk about the dangers involved with dihydrogen monoxide and the deaths caused each year because of it. And I can see some of you now rethinking your decision to be here this morning. <laughs> After some confusion, I would go on to explain dihydrogen monoxide is simply the obnoxious chemical name for water, H2O, dihydrogen monoxide, water. And I tell you that this morning because I want my parents to hear me using my science undergraduate degree. <laughs> Now that I've revealed myself as a science nerd, let's take a second to look together at our Old Testament lesson in Exodus chapter 17. This may be a familiar story for you. The Israelites complaining in the wilderness. It's important to take note that the chapter right before this one, the Israelites received the miracle of manna. So just so everyone is on the same page, these were the Israelites who were led out of slavery in Egypt across a divided Red Sea by the presence of God in the form of a pillar of smoke and fire. They were named and chosen as God's holy people. And because of their most recent complaint, bread is literally falling from the sky each day. And yet, here they are, complaining again. We read in verse 3, the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses. Poor Moses. You have to feel for him, leading these people through the wilderness for their constant complaining and grumbling. But he responded well by doing all he knew to do. He cried out to God. And God answered him and gave him instructions. God said, I will go and stand before you. Take your staff, which divided the Nile, and in the presence of elders, strike this rock, and I will produce people, I will produce water for the people. He obeyed, and the people got what they wanted, what they had been complaining for, water. Now let's look to our New Testament lesson in the Gospel of John. Jesus, tired out from his journey, sits by a well and begins a conversation with a lonely, outcast Samaritan woman. This may also be a familiar story for you, but I hope you'll let the scandal of this moment hit you anew. It was scandalous for Jesus to be talking alone with a woman, especially one he was not related to. Some rabbis did not even talk to their own mother or daughter or sister in public. There were even some Pharisees called the bruised and bleeding Pharisees because they would shut their eyes whenever they saw a woman in public and walk into walls. This moment is scandalous even before we touch on the bad blood between Jews and Samaritans. The fact that most Jews harbored hatred and disdain in their heart towards Samaritans. Or the fact that this woman was fetching water in the hottest part of the day all alone, clearly trying to avoid others. Later to find out, she's had multiple husbands 
and is currently living with a man she's not married to. But this is also a passage full of irony. Jesus, who gives rest to the weary, is weary and needs a rest. Jesus, who is Israel's Messiah, is speaking with a Samaritan woman. Jesus, who has living water, is asking for a drink. Not only is Jesus talking to this Samaritan woman, he's asking for her help, and he's willing to accept her hospitality. This intimate shared moment sparked her curiosity, and it gave her the courage to ask him questions. Before long, she's the one asking him for a drink. Now let's move to present day as I share a personal story. Since we've moved here, I've started attending spin classes at the Y. Spin classes are not something I'd ever tried before moving to Anderson, but I've really come to appreciate them. I won't go so far as to say enjoy them, but appreciate seems like an appropriate word. Right before my first ever class, I was struggling trying to get the bike adjusted and I was explaining to the lady next to me that it was my first time and I was trying to do this before class started but without drawing too much attention to myself as the newbie. But thankfully, the instructor overheard and she came to my rescue, giving me key pointers to keep in mind for spin classes. But one thing I learned very quickly was to always, always bring a bottle of water with me to class. In fact, one time I forgot my bottle of water and I very seriously considered turning around, leaving the gym, and heading home. I know that sounds dramatic, but I normally drink an entire bottle of water during this class. So the idea of struggling through it without the refreshing water along the way was overwhelming. Maybe you have had a similar experience to that or you have your own story of when you realize just how dependent on water you are, how much you really need it. Maybe it's when you first wake up in the morning and you realize, man, I need some water before I can start my day. These are stories that are separated by centuries, by cultures, by circumstances. God's chosen people in the wilderness, a lonely outcast Samaritan woman, in us today, and yet we all have a same basic requirement, a need for water to quench a constant thirst. Have you ever considered why God made us this way? Why we were designed to be dependent? We could have been created where we didn't require water or sleep or food. We could have been created as self-sustaining beings. Did you know the maximum amount of time in ideal conditions that you can go without water is 10 days? Absolute best circumstances, 10 days without water. Why did God create us in such a way? And why am I harping on it now? One reason is because of what I stated earlier. I'm a science nerd. I have a passion for seeing the creator behind our intricate human design. 
But more importantly than that, I ask these questions this morning because we are in the season of Lent. The season of Lent is about recognizing our humanity, our vulnerabilities. As our pastor Austin put it so well last week, it draws our attention to our inability to create and sustain life, our inability to control everything. And what could be a greater reminder for us of our dependence and our inability to control everything than our constant need for water? Because as hard as we may try, we would not be able to go for more than 10 days without it. It doesn't matter what century you live in, how much influence you have, or what ethnicity you are. We are all equalized in our craving and our dependence on water. Drinking and thirst are used throughout scripture as pictures of God's supply and our human spiritual need. It makes perfect sense because while drinking is an action, it's an action of simply receiving. We are all thirsty. We are wanting, we are longing, we are searching. We have a physical thirst, but we also have a deeper spiritual thirst, a thirst within us for goodness and truth that seems unable to be quenched by this human world. And what Jesus is offering in this passage is more than simply a cool, refreshing drink with lemon. It's a gift that goes beyond our basic physical needs. He's offering living water. He's offering a well of grace that's ready to refresh our dry, weary, parched souls. In John chapter 7, just a couple of chapters later, we find Jesus teaching during the Feast of Tabernacles, a celebration which included a specific ceremony that recalled the miracle we read earlier in Exodus of the water being brought out of a rock. During this lesson, Jesus says to the crowd, if anyone thirsts, let that one come to me and drink. Those who believe in me, as scripture has said, out of their hearts will flow rivers of living water. Just as God brought water out of a rock in the wilderness, living water, that is the love and the power of the Holy Spirit, can be brought forth from human hardened hearts for those that believe. This is the transformation we saw for the woman at the well. After Jesus answered her questions and revealed himself to be the true awaited Messiah, she left her water jar in her haste to tell others the good news. Her physical thirst weaned in comparison with this gift of living water. Can you imagine what she was feeling? The Messiah, the Messiah that everyone had been waiting for, that she had grown up hearing about, that everyone was anticipating, 
took time to talk with her. He cared for her when no one else did, maybe not even herself. He saw value in her, and he personally offered her this precious gift. It's a beautiful and a powerful story, but it's also a story that could be ours. If we truly embrace this message of the season of Lent, allowing ourselves to believe that the long-awaited Messiah sees value in us, sees value in you, that the Son of God is offering you the same gift, the gift of living water, a life without wanting, wishing, striving, or stressing, a life of feeling refreshed and full instead of depleted and empty, a life not driven by our worldly thirst. St. Augustine describes this gospel, the scene in the Gospel of John saying, Jesus gradually enters into the Samaritan woman's heart with a gentle and kind encouragement, promising the Holy Spirit in satisfying abundance. And the good news is, Jesus will do the same for us as he did for her, gradually entering into our hearts with a gentle and kind encouragement, promising us the Holy Spirit in satisfying abundance. But this woman also holds a challenge for us. She did not keep this living water to herself, but she couldn't wait to share it. Did you notice that she took this back to the very same people that she had been avoiding at the beginning of the day? In her excitement, she wanted to share it all. She granted them their own experience with the Messiah and with his living water. This woman is not only the first non-Jew to whom Jesus revealed himself as the Messiah, but she is the means by which many Samaritans became believers. She had an impact. Henry Nowen writes a simple but profound prayer saying, God, help me to see others not as enemies or as ungodly, but rather as thirsty people. And give me the courage and compassion to offer your living water, which alone quenches deep thirst. Give me the courage and compassion to offer your living water, which alone quenches deep thirst. So as we continue our journey to Jerusalem through this season of Lent, as we look towards Good Friday and Easter Sunday, may our physical thirst become a reminder of our human dependency, a reminder of our lack of control, of our inability to sustain life on our own. Most importantly, a reminder of our need for a Messiah. And may we develop a deeper thirst along the way. 
a thirst that's unquenchable without this Messiah and this living water in our life. That our souls will thirst for God as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. As we shift our focus from our physical immediate needs to spiritual ones. The spiritual needs of a soul that can be parched by this world and that can only be satisfied by living water offered by our Messiah. A Messiah who sees value in you, who's offered you this same life-changing gift, life in abundance. And may our hearts overflow rivers of this living water, not only changing us, but may this encounter May we follow the example of the brave woman, and may this encounter change the way we interact with others, that we would joyfully share our encounters and our stories, and may it implore others to the well for their own life-giving drink, living water, satisfying life in abundance. May it be so. Amen.